grab a seat, grab a seat, grab a seat. It's good to see everybody. Um, if you have your Bibles, hope you do. You can turn over to Jeremiah 15. We're going to be in Jeremiah 15. We're kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the context of Jeremiah. Things aren't going to go well. This is one of the most darkest places in the history of Israel. Uh, the kingdoms are going to be divided. Um, the Babylonians are going to take over. People are going to be exiled. It's just going to be a bad situation. And, and think about Jeremiah's role, his vocation, what God has called him to as a prophet. God has called him to basically be God's messenger to the people, to warn them and to call them back into covenant faithfulness with Yahweh, with God. And, and, and this is not going to go well for him in a lot of ways because, you know, you think if, if you are going to take bad news to your friends, your friends are not going to like you. A lot of times the, the bad news messengers are not liked, especially if you are telling your friends something they do not want to hear. And Jeremiah cares deeply for the people of Israel. Um, we've, we've said before, he's known as the weeping prophet because he is just unbelievably sad at the disobedience of Israel. Uh, you remember, we've also talked about it this time in their history, they have lost the book of the law. They don't even know where it is. And this is a very, very sad thing. And this is a constant all throughout history that when God's people, when, when people that have been called out by God to do certain things are not doing what they've been called to do, then really bad things happen. So here, in this context, the priests and the prophets and the shepherds are not leading the people to God. You think about, like, what does a priest do if, they have, if they've lost the book of the law? Like, if they don't even know where it is, it would be like, like, I'm a pastor. Like, what would I do on Wednesdays and Sundays and every day during the week, like if I didn't even know where my Bible was, like if we had lost all Bibles somewhere, like it, it, it is, it is mind-boggling what is going on that they have lost the Torah, and so what, what is going to happen is Jeremiah is his ministry is, is difficult, his ministry is very very sad, and he is pleading for the people uh, to return to God. And in chapter 15, he even says this. He says, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me, a man of strife and contention to the whole land. He basically is saying, it's really sad that I was even born. Like, that's how bad his grief is. But here's the neat thing. Here's why we, we've been studying in Sunday school about suffering for like the last four weeks or so. And that's... Not really a pick-me-up, you know, it's kind of, kind of a downer. But here's the neat thing about Scripture in most places, especially the prophets. When news is really, really bad, guess what? There's going to be some really, really good news on the horizon. And that's really the point of Jeremiah. That's a huge theme in Jeremiah. It's really, really bad news about the consequences of the people of Israel's sin. But there's always going to be good news about how there's an opportunity for people to be redeemed. And this is, there's going to be some good news as well. So here's Jeremiah. At his worst. When you get to the point that you say, woe is me, woe is my mother who bore me, basically saying, I wish I was never born, that's really, really, really low. But here's what Jeremiah is going to say in verse 16 of chapter 15. He says this in verse 16, your words were found and I ate them 
ate them, not ate them, ate them. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. We would have to compare, we'll stop there, we would have to compare the book of Jeremiah, kind of track it chronologically with some of the historical writings to see, um, has Hezekiah found the book of law, has Josiah, this is kind of in the reign of Josiah, so it would have been Josiah. Um, but whatever the case is, Jeremiah is longing for the word of God. He's longing for the word of God. He says, uh, you read the context, the word of the law has been lost, the Torah has been lost. He says, your words were found, and he says, I ate them. So you think about, I, I don't want you to go home and eat your Bible, okay? That'd be weird. Your parents would get upset with me. They would email me tomorrow morning and said, I just bought my kid a nice shiny ESV, and they ate it tonight. Um, don't let your dogs eat it, or your cats or your hamsters eat it either. But this is, this is a metaphor, this is imagery. And a lot of times imagery is used in Scripture because it conveys a lot of emotion. It, when we use metaphors and we use imagery and we use hyperbole and we use different kinds of like uh, grammatical and, and uh, types of literature and things like that, when we use, when we use those literature mechanisms, it's used to convey a very deep meaning. And so when Jeremiah says, I found your word and I ate it, it's going a little deeper than he just said, I found your word and I read it. I found your word and I liked it. I found your word and I understood it. I found your word and I thought it was cute. No, he says, I found your word and I ate it. And it's imagery of him internalizing God's word. At this point in history, it's the Torah, the first five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you think about the concept of eating and internalizing it. It, it means that it's providing nourishment to your soul. And, and so even way back in this prophetic book, you know, we, we want to ask the question, well, how does this apply to us? We, we hear this confession of Jeremiah explaining to God what the emotion that came into his life when he found the book of the law we ask ourselves, well, how does this apply to us? Well, when we look at Jeremiah's expression, we're in an even much better place than Jeremiah is. We have the entire Old Testament. We have the entire New Testament. We have the gospel. We have the good news of what Jesus has done to save us from our sin. And we have it readily available in front of us. The, God's word should be even much more overwhelming Joyous to us than, than even it was to Jeremiah in a lot of ways. And so he says, your words were found and I ate them. He cherished God's word so much that he wanted it to become internalized in his life. To be, to go all throughout his, his life in every little aspect. And this is what God is trying to do in our life. He's trying to tear down all these compartments that we build in our lives and in our minds. He, he's wanting every aspect of who we are. He's wanting us to take his word and apply his word to every aspect of our life, every thought that we have, every desire that we have, every hope and dream for our future. He wants us to, to filter that through the lens of, of God's word in our life. And this is what he said. He says, your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He uses, he uses two words that, that are, are very important. He says, your words became a joy to me, a joy and a, and a delight to my heart. So joy and delight, we would say 
that, that mean very, very similar things. We would say, well, what does joy and delight mean? We just, maybe it means you know, being happy. It goes a lot deeper than that. Joy and delight goes a lot deeper than, than happiness. And, and here, here's a situation that we're in as sinners. We're sinful people. Sin has come into the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve, through their disobedience. And it affects everything about this world. There is nothing in this world that is unaffected by sin. And so what we have to do, we, we honestly have to retrain ourselves to enjoy things. Sin in, in our life and, and sin all around us is constantly trying to suck the joy and happiness out of life. And so as believers, we have to really train ourselves to experience joy, to have joy. Um, and, it, and it's work. It takes discipleship. It takes growing in Christ. It takes opening God's Word and allowing God's Word through our relationship with Him and His Word and through prayer and, and through biblical community. It, 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 it's a growth process. We don't, we don't just wake up one day and we're joyful people. We have to work at it. We have to, you know, if, if you have ever planted a garden, there's a lot of different stages. That's a lot of work and it takes time. You prepare the soil. You plant the seed. You water the seed. It has to have sunlight. And then, and, and then it grows. And, and it takes time to grow. And there's different seasons. And then you harvest it. There's, there's stages to it. Discipleship is very, very similar. There's different stages. There's times of immaturity that grows to maturity and, and then grows into fruitfulness. And, it, and it, it takes time. And it takes work. And so... Growing in happiness, growing in joy, growing in delight is very, very similar. We, we have to allow God's Word to train us, to train us to, to be happy and, and to delight in things. Um, think in your mind right now. Think about something that when you see it or do it, you just automatically just smile. That happiness just kind of over, overwhelms you. Um, you may think about a time where... You've been in Disney World, and you see Mickey for the first time, and you're just very, very excited. <laughs> you okay? Right. Um, it, it may be, you know, I really like that point where you, um, you're on vacation, and you walk out to the beach, and you put your beach chair, and you sit there, and you just relax, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I'm just going to smile. This is awesome. Uh, I like when we're skiing, and you get to the top of the hill, and you're about to go down, and it's beautiful, and it's white everywhere, the snow's just glistening, and you're like, this is going to be awesome, we're about to go down the hill, it's awesome. Um, I, I remember when um, my kids were born, you know, there was an overwhelming just joy and happiness, where you just can't help but smile, you can't help but just be joyful, there's things in our life that just force us to be excited, and happy, and, and full of life. And, and I really think that God wants us to be like that a lot. He wants us to be full of joy. But it doesn't come easy. We have to work at it. We have to allow God to work in our hearts and, and change things about us. To take away, pull sin and temptation out of our life and put us into these patterns of life where we're fighting sin and where we are uh, growing in Him and we're not struggling with certain sins in our life. You, you, think, you think about the commission that we have on our life, the great commission. 
God's calling to make disciples of all nations. He's called us to go out into the world and love people and care for people. And I really believe that there is a missional component to being joyful. There, there is something to be said that when people see our lives and they see our joy, they see that we're delighting in God. That is one of the most impactful things that we can do in front of people is just be joyful and happy. Because when they see our lives, you're going to ask the question, what is different about them? And when they see that we're delighting in God, that's going to impress upon them about how beautiful our God is. And that's going to impact them. Now, we always want to care for people. We always want to pray for people. And we always want to share with people the good news of Jesus. But before you do that, a lot of times, people just need to see your testimony of your life. They just need to see how much you delight in God and how joyful you are. And they may even ask you, what's different about you? Why are you always encouraging? You know, I have, I have some friends that no matter what, like I could call them up and be like, hey man, uh, what's going on? And be like, oh, nothing much. What, uh, what you got going on this weekend? I'll be like, oh, I'm, I'm going on vacation. And he's like, last vacation I went on was horrible. You know, it's like, like, I have friends that are like that. Like, no matter what, they're going to drag the situation through the mud. You know, you could be like, I just won the lottery. I, I just won $20 million. It'd be like, man, that's awful. You'll probably spend it on stupid stuff. And, uh, you know, there's people like that. But I have other friends. I have a friend that I call like once a week probably just because he's so encouraging. And he'll he'll just he'll encourage me. Like it doesn't matter what's going on, he will he is just an encouraging presence. He'll share with me what God is doing in his life. He'll speak into my life, like he'll just tell me an observation. He'll he'll tell me something to make me feel good. And I don't think he's making up. Maybe he's making up, I don't know. But he's an encouraging person. And my other friend I don't really care to be around him. I don't really see him that much. You know, he's not really somebody I'm going to invite over to, you know, watch the Super Bowl or anything. But my other friend, like, I will do anything to go have lunch with him. Like, I'll drop whatever I'm doing. Like, if he says, hey, you want to come to lunch? I'm like, yeah, I'm canceling lunch with the president. And I'm coming to hang out with you because he's encouraging to be around. And you think about, out of those two people... Who is going to have the most impact on the lives of others? It is the person that is full of joy and encouragement. And you think about that, like, you know, who do I want to be? Do I want to be the person that, that drags people down emotionally? Or do I want to be the person that's full of life and joy and brings encouragement to whatever situation I'm in? And then we think about the calling that God has on our life to make disciples of all nations. God can use us as missionaries where we are so many times just by being full of joy and, and finding joy in Him. So where does Jeremiah find his joy? He finds his joy in God's Word. He, for him to say that I found your Word and I ate it, I absorbed it, I let it become nutrition to me. He's saying I, found, I find joy in your Word. Well, why does he find joy in God's Word. It's because in God's Word, we find God, we find information about Him, we find, uh, we get to know Him more, His character, and how He wants us to live. And, and in the words, we, we hear praise about Him, and, and 
all through the different genres of God's Word, we meet God there in His Word. And so what happens, it's, it's supernatural. As we sit, on, sit with God's Word and, and we pray and ask God that He would help us to understand it and that He would change our life through His Word, He, he gives us supernaturally through His Holy Spirit. He gives us understanding of it. And it goes from just words on a page to, to joy-giving life. Now, like I said, it's work. It is work. Nothing really comes easy in life at all. I, I wish it did. But here's what God, God gives us a lot of grace. He gives us a lot of grace. He meets us where we are. And so I think a lot, I think for most of us, God wants us just to start somewhere. Somewhere it can be small. I mean, we just we just read what just one verse tonight. Like, and that's typically what we do. We'll just focus on one little verse. Just this one little verse. If you focus on this, your words were found and I hate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Like if you just read that and thought, thought through every little phrase and you meditated on it, not, not Eastern meditation, like your little yoga pose, you know, not that. Eastern meditation says, clear your mind and listen to your inner self. That's garbage, don't do that. Your inner self, uh, a guy named John Calvin said your heart is a idol-making factory. So don't, don't listen to your inner self. Biblical meditation, instead of emptying your heart, biblical meditation is filling your heart. Filling your heart with God's Word because God's Word is what we need. And so anyway, you can meditate on God's Word by just taking one verse like that and thinking about it over and over and over. And all of a sudden, you actually you move from biblical meditation to biblical meditation memorization. If you think about it over and over throughout the day, you'll memorize it. You'll commit it to memory. And what can happen then, that to me, memorizing God's Word is, is almost like literally saying, I ate it. Like I, I absorbed it. I internalized it. God's Word can affect us in remarkable ways as we just focus on it and allow it to, to change, change us. And it, it's a lot of work. But almost anything in life that's going to bring us a lot of joy is, is work. Parenting is a lot of work. You know, in our life, parenting brings us a lot of joy. Um, Sophie woke me up this morning, and, uh, and she said the, the funniest things. Like, I cannot even remember. Like, just, she said something hilarious. And I just thought about, like, parenting is so much fun. Like, this is such a joy. Like, I, could, I just laughed at her, and I thought it was so great. But there's times where it's really, really a lot of work, parenting Sophie. It's really, really hard. And, and anything that you do in life is going to take a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's an investment. It is an investment in our souls to allow God's Word to, to change us. The next thing that Jeremiah says, he first says, Your words were your words found, and I ate them. They became to me joy and delight. He says, For I am called by your name. He moves to talking about his calling. The calling on his life was to be a prophet. Think about the calling on our life. God calls us to be his children. God calls us to be his disciples, his followers. God calls us to be teachers and doctors and lawyers and missionaries and pastors and anything else you can imagine. God calls us to specific things. But we'll never know what he's calling us to unless we listen. And typically, listening involves God's word. 
God's word starts to speak to us. You're not going to open God's word and discover exactly what God is wanting you to do. But what's amazing about it, as you walk with God, as you seek God in his word, and as you walk with him and you develop a relationship with him through prayer and his word, he'll start to give you desires and interests. He'll start to speak to you just through life, through walking with him. So when you have big decisions in life to make, when people say, well, go and see what the Bible says about that. You may think, well, the Bible doesn't really say anything about this particular decision. Well, it maybe doesn't speak specifically to that. But as you walk with God in his word and through prayer, he'll give you wisdom about it. He'll start to shape your will. He'll start to change your will and your desires and focus on that. So we're going to kind of wrap up. What do we take away from this? We take away that... We cannot be the followers of Christ that God's called us to if we do not have a desire for His Word. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, that makes me very sad because I love God, but I hate reading, and I don't, I don't even know where my Bible is, and I haven't read the Bible in months. There's grace and hope for that, okay? Like, I don't want you to feel this burden of, of shame or guilt or anything like that because, again, it takes work. The first thing that we have to do is we have to pray. We have to ask God to give us a desire for His Word. And then we have to start reading it. Maybe we read it with our parents. Maybe we just really, really make sure that we're really faithful in Sunday school so that our life groups when we come because we open God's Word in life groups and we're taught His Word in life groups. Uh, we also really, really want to pay attention anytime anyone's teaching God's Word. Um, there's a lot of great resources that we share before we can share the future of how to study the Bible. But it's actually pretty simple. We just, we've got to do it. A great study Bible can really be helpful. Um, the, the seven, we have seven arrows study Bibles that we can give. We have some more of those. A lot of you may have received the ESV student study Bibles that we've given, we've given out. But we can get you a study Bible. Those can be very, very helpful. But the most important thing is to do it. I've shared my story before about when I was in fifth grade. I moved to South Carolina in fifth grade from Georgia. Um, in Georgia, what was really cool was things like mudding, riding four-wheelers, cow tipping, things like that. So I get to South Carolina, and none of those things are cool at all. None of them even has a four-wheeler because they didn't have a place to ride them. I get to South Carolina, and what is cool is skateboarding. And everyone wears these, like, baggy Jinko jeans and these cool skateboarding shirts. And all we talk about is skateboarding. That's all we talk about. And the, the, the shoes, the skateboarding shoes. And so, like, at lunch, you're like, yeah, I went to the skate park this weekend. It was awesome. I did this and I did that. And so I blended into that. Uh, I had some cool skateboarding pants. I had a cool skateboarding shirt. Uh, I never really had skateboarding shoes. I just wore sneakers. But I would talk about it at lunch. I would talk about skateboarding all the time, about how much I loved it. What do you think the only problem was? <laughs> didn't, didn't even own a skateboard, bro. Like, didn't even have one. Like, and, you know, actually, I had one, but what I would do is I would lay down on it and do like this, you know? And, but I left, it, I left it in the driveway, and my dad, like, ran over it and it broke. So I didn't even have a skateboard. But that didn't stop me from wearing skateboarding pants or a skateboarding shirt, talking about skateboarding at lunch and how awesome I was. It was awful. It was awful. But guys, so many Christians do that. So many Christians tote around the Bible. 
wear the Christian t-shirts, talk about what cool things they did in their youth group on Sunday. But they've not talked to Jesus like ever. They've not met with God and His Word ever. The important thing is that we can change that at any time. Think about the prodigal son. You know, it's a beautiful imagery. He'd gone out and he lived however he wanted to at the expense of his father. But as soon as he wanted to come back home, the father ran out and greeted him with a big hug. And that was a big deal in that culture. That was something that didn't happen. And God welcomes us back anytime. All right. My buddies would have made fun of me, and they did. <laughs> My buddies would have made fun of me if they knew I didn't even own a skateboard. But God's not like that. He welcomes us back. And so the big thing is, like, if I would have wanted to be a skateboarder, the, you know what I should, the most important thing for me to do was to start skateboarding, all right? Like, it, the pants didn't matter. The shoes didn't matter. The shirt didn't matter. Skateboarding is what should have mattered. But I missed all that. I missed all that. So we tithe in spiritually. What do we do? We, we, we walk with God. We seek Him in His Word and we seek Him in prayer. And we continually pray, God, give me a desire for You. Give me a desire for Your Word. Fill me with Your joy. And Your joy is going to have so much impact on the lives of other people. Because people are going to look at you, they're going to see your joy. They're going to wonder, they're going to look at their own lives. And they're going to think... Why am I not like that? What is missing from my life that I need? We talk about it all the time that we've got this little God-shaped, God-sized hole in our life. And until we fill it with God, we're going to be restless. We're going to run after something. We're going to run after fulfillment. But until we fill that hole, that void in our life with God, we're going to be running after nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're so thankful uh, that you've caught us out of darkness and into light. And our desire, Lord, is that we would run hard after you. That we would seek you in your word and that we would desire you more and more. And Lord, it, it's hard to be happy and joyous in this culture. But Lord, we, we know you've called us to it. You've called us to joy. You've called us to delight. And Lord, our desire is that you would lead us in that direction, that you would stretch us and grow us to the point where we find our delight in you, Lord. Father, take the things in our life that are not of you, that do not look like you, Lord, and just remove them. Just chip them away. And uh, Lord, make us look like you, Lord. Make us desire the things that you desire. Put people in our lives, Lord, that we can love and care for and share your grace and good news with. Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to desire and put people in our lives, Lord, to share and, and teach your word to us. I thank you for each person that's here tonight, Lord. I pray that they would leave tonight knowing that they are loved by you and loved by us. And Lord, that you would um, protect us this week. Protect us tomorrow as uh, there's supposed to be storms. And uh, Lord, we, we pray, Lord, that we would look to you for uh, our safety and our strength. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. That reminds